So David, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Like dream vacation. My couch for a week. No, I'm kidding. I would visit the rolling hills of Ireland and Scotland. Cool. Um, what if you could not go anywhere in the world, but claim you had? Oh, if I could fake it? Yes. Uh, probably Buckingham Palace, like, and sit on the Queen's throne. That's what I'd want to do. Like, I'd want there to be a fake picture of me, and everyone would believe me. They're like, oh, you sat on the throne? It's like, yeah, it's a special honor that yeah. no American has ever had ever. I'm the only American to ever sit on the throne. Well, David, for $20, your dream can come true. Get out of town. All right, so this Nebraska business. Clearly Nebraska. <laughs> they're uh, offering to to bolster your social media presence uh, by faking photos of you on vacation. Oh, okay. Uh, so apparently this is like a huge service now. For $20, the package is starting at $20, uh, and it's called, the company's name is Fake A Vacation. <laughs> Straight to the point. Yeah. And they essentially just superimpose your image into uh, various uh, hot spots around the globe. Uh, you could be in Las Vegas, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, Disney World, Baghdad. I mean, you name it. I added Baghdad. I assume there's somewhere famous in Baghdad. Somewhere pretty in Baghdad you'd want to take a picture. Um, I've and, never been. I don't know. <laughs> so the, the company... Uh, cites a study because there's a study for everything, right? Sure. That more than half of millennials have lied about taking vaca- vacations uh, for ra- reasons uh, ranging from last minute cancellations, right? So, like, you booked a trip, had to cancel it, but you were like, you'd like told everyone in the world that you were going on this trip, right? And so you, you just lie and said you actually did it uh, to the high price of travel and the desire for social media recognition. So, uh, we, we officially live in fake world. What right? a sad state of affairs. What an absolute <laughs> miserable sad state of affairs. That you're more worried about the way you're perceived than you are about actually enjoying your vacation. So it's not like, oh, bummer, I didn't get to go on this awesome vacation. It's, oh, bummer, people won't think I went on this awesome vacation. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it. If I, if I could go, like, the, the one place... Where I'd want to say I had gone, but wouldn't actually want to go, might be like Australia. And Australia, I'm sure, has very lovely parts, but it also has everything that can kill you. Yeah. And so, like, I would like to have said I petted a kangaroo in its natural habitat, or I snuggled a koala bear in a eucalyptus tree. Koalas are dumb. Or that I, uh, wallaby, something with a wallaby. You can't think of a third activity to do with an animal? Uh, swam with the sharks. Good day, sharks. Let's put another prawn on the bobby. Did you know they don't say shrimp in Australia? No, what did it's they say? Prawn. What, what did I just say? I don't know, I couldn't tell. You're prawn speaking Prawn on the bobby. Prawn? Prawn. All right. Crocodile dundee. So, uh, anyways, just more fakeness in 2019, right? And if, if there's anything this show is known for... It's our ability to be fake. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like, how enthusiastic am I right now? Actually, not at all. But bringing it anyways. We are so tired today. We're so tired. So it was it was a tiring weekend, man. We saw Avengers. It was so good. Um, I think we're gonna save that to the end, though, right? We're gonna. Yeah. Okay. So if you're, you're listening so, you're now, you're so tired. You forgot how we do our show. If you're listening now, 
<laughs> you will uh, in the very last segment. We'll let you know before it happens. We're going to talk Avengers. Spoilers are going to be flying. So many spoilers. Mm-hmm. It's basically going to be we're going to tell you what happened and how we feel about it. So that's basically a spoiler. Yeah. This is why we're alerting you to those spoilers. That's why we're doing the spoiler alert. All right. All right let's get into it. Welcome to Subjectively Correct Sports, where we talk about sports and other things with your hosts, David Henderson and Anthony Montague. One of us is a teacher, one of us is a lawyer. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but that's what we do. Uh, (laughs) Go to subjectivelycorrect.com, check out our website. There are a couple of blog articles up there. It's your turn to write something. You better get on that. Uh, Email us at subjectivelycorrect at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our fan, and it's always a good time. We'd love to interact with you and get on the show. we got some uh, text messages from. Uh, well, what? What's going on? I just drank um, a, uh, a, do- a root beer that's been on my desk for probably six days. Oh, that is. You would think the taste wouldn't be so bad. Like, it should still have the same taste just without the fizz. But, ugh. Excited to get into some baseball stuff. I talked to uh, Colt Sawyer. Uh, a little bit uh, over the last couple weeks about some baseball happening, so excited to get into that. A lot of NBA action went down, and of course we have the NFL draft, which doesn't really mean anything except for a few teams who got lucky and happened to draft someone who happens to do well in the NFL, but we won't know how well they do for five or six years. So really the draft is just selling hope to fan bases. Yeah, It's not as bad as Major League Baseball draft, but nowhere near NBA draft. Right, because right. so, one player in the, NBA, in the NBA can change everything. you got your KDs, your Kevin Durants, you have your LeBron Jameses, you have Kawhi Leonard, you have these generational talents that change everything on the basketball court. Uh, you can absolutely bury a tight end somewhere. Uh, you can even make a quarterback be less effective. See Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy situation. But the NFL, it's yeah, you can just bury a player and, and they can never work out. The best college players can end up being terrible NFL players. Even the best college quarterbacks who they overanalyze, they analyze quarterbacks to death, can end up being a crapshoot and we just never know. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Let alone baseball, where there's like 15 minor league teams you got to work your way through. Yeah, I can't imagine. Imagine working your your whole life to get into like get into professional baseball. You're really good. You're one of the best players in the country your age. And then they're like, "Okay, you're so good. We want you on our team. Go play in in Nebraska, Biloxi, for- <laughs> Mississippi. Yeah, for the Mud Dogs. Yeah, play play for the Mud Dogs for a few years, and then we'll see." And like, hold up, we'll see. <laughs> when when do I get paid? It's like, oh, we pay you. Less than a teacher. In mud dog vouchers. Yes. All you can eat while you're at the game. You mean while I'm playing? Like, that's why they eat all the sunflower seeds. I bet minor league players, like, it's their pockets are full of sunflower seeds because that's all they get to eat. Yeah, you, and, and the habit stays with you as you enter the big leagues. You see guys in the dugout, they're always going for the, the bubblegum bucket or the candy bucket or the sunflower. They're always eating during the game, and it's just this habit. You know, when you have a, a hungry child that, that all of a sudden now has a bunch of food around they they never lose that that habit of just like uh gorging themselves right? yeah and, and hoarding some for later yeah. right like whenever there's a buffet style setup growing up in nevada like we know how to buffet right and so we buffet with class we do well it, sometimes when you do it right it looks very classless like <laughs> to buffet properly is to be a slovenly pig i always it's okay. like to be efficient with my plate so i would stack Oh, you're a stacker? I would stack. See, I'm a multiple plater. Okay. Right? So it's like... So you don't care about dishwashers? No. 
job security for them. Yeah. Plus, like, what my one dish is going to add to their uh, add to their workload? Nah. One dish at a time. What does that mean? <laughs> it's like the one vote can't sway an election, right? But a million one votes could. All I'm saying is, thank you for Donald Trump, David. So the NBA has been pretty exciting. Or, uh, thank you, David, for Donald Trump. Kind of depends on your uh, political persuasion. So the NBA <laughs> playoffs. Huge. First thing I want to talk about. Poor Donovan Mitchell. 2020. So Donovan Mitchell is a great player, a good young player in his second year. And he just happened to play badly at the worst times. When he yeah. also played really great at the best time, right? So his team had back it? back against the wall. Very, right? very D- Dickensian of him. Charles Dickens. Best of times, worst of times. Tale two cities. Did you just say Dickensian? I did. Is that a thing? It's it's legit. I literature moderately well. All right. I mean, I'll, okay. It's not something that that I I've said. Well, there are lots of words and phrases. That's true. I blame the French for a lot of them. The spelling is atrocious. Yeah, the spelling is atrocious in English, and a lot of it is because of French. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. I won't get into it right now. Hey, there it is. Dickensian. Yeah. Of or reminiscent of novels of Charles Dickens, especially in suggesting the poor social conditions or comically repulsive characters that they portray. Oh, right, mate. So the NBA. Have some more. Uh, a nice twist there at the end. That was good. Yeah. Well done. All, all of our jokes are really bad today. No, no, no. This is this is the deep cut for for the super fan, <laughs> the super Dickensian fan. Yeah. This show's for us today. Thank you for continuing to listen, but it's going to be about us. We're we're going to say what entertains us today. We should do that every time. Yeah. Show would probably be better. So the NBA. Can you have negative listeners? I think that's Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're on our way. Gosh. So the NBA. Poor Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he got them that win in game four that they needed. But then, after that, he played really poorly at the last game. He missed a shot to tie the game wide open. But Kyle Korver said some really nice things about him. That was really awesome. I just feel like he needs some help there in Utah, yeah. offensive help. And you figure that you have it with Kyle Korver, but I didn't know this because he looks pretty young. Kyle Korver's like 48 years old. Yeah, he's legit, legit like orthodontist age. Yes. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh... <laughs> no, but like we forget Donovan Mitchell, he's already like a phenom in the league, but he's only in his second year, right? Yeah. And how many years did he play at Louisville? Was he there three years? He's a three-year, yeah. Okay, so I mean, he's, so he's what, 22, 23 years old? Um... And Utah's notoriously kind of a rough place to go because they don't get many free agents. Right. It's, it's like a – my wife and I call it the farm system. It's like the <laughs> NBA's farm system. Like you develop really great talent there and then they go to some other team. Yeah. It's like the, uh, the, the Timberwolves, the Kings. Yeah. No, no, one, no one who's uh, worth paying sticks around. Yeah. I, I mean I don't know if it's because people don't want to live in Utah, but Donovan Mitchell right now seems different because he's really involved in the community. The fans all really love yeah. him. But – you offer a max contract to a player like that to play in a place like L.A. Yeah. or New York or something like that, they might take that, even it, though they love the community they're playing in. Yeah, and it's too bad for the Jazz because it's a really well-run organization. Like these other teams we've been talking about, you got like Clippers, 
Timberwolves, the Clippers, not so much lately, but Kings, right? Like, notoriously are just, like, poorly run, out of the playoffs for decades at a time. Which blows my mind, because Vladi Divac is now the president of basketball operations in Sacramento. And he was an okay player, so that means he should be a really great president of basketball operations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the Jazz don't have that problem. I mean, they're relevant pretty much every year. In a Western Conference that's really tough, they consistently make the playoffs. Like, for the past two decades, right? I mean, going back to Stockton Malone, they haven't really had a major drought. Maybe a couple years here or there. But you had... um, you know, what's-his-face with the other guy. The D. Williams. Yeah, Paul D. Williams, Millsap, Boozer. Jefferson, the Boozer years. And then you, uh, yeah. And then you had uh, Gordon Hayward. And and now you have Donovan Mitchell yeah. in that group. Rudy Gobert. So they're always deploy. relevant, but they can't, uh, yeah, it seems like they can't keep guys in their prime. Which I get. So I, I don't know if the Jazz will ever overcome that, but they lost to the Rockets. And the Rockets, I feel like they could have won game one against the Warriors. I really, really do. Yeah. They, uh, at one point, going back to the Jazz series, they had missed 28 three-pointers in a row. And that bug, they caught that bug last year against the Warriors when they should have beat the Warriors in game seven, if you remember that. I'm yeah. having a hard time saying Warriors. Warriors. The Warriors. Uh, like, what's the whip book? Having trouble with that one today. But they should have beat the Warriors last year, and yeah. they should have beat them... They were getting open shots, they just weren't making them. And uh, I don't know, there's all this drama about uh, the Warriors fouling James Harden on three-pointers and not getting the call. Everyone's uh, yeah, calling this is the that, Kawhi rule This is that, that landing zone rule that's like, become really popular uh, over the past few years. And it's that a shooter um, has to be able to land, right? So they, they take a jump shot and the defender cannot jump into their landing zone. I call this the Zaza rule. A, I hate Zaza Pachulia. I don't hate very easily. I hate Zaza Pachulia. Uh, He undercut Kawhi Leonard in game one of uh, the series against the Spurs a couple years ago. Kawhi sprained his ankle so badly he couldn't continue. The Warriors then went on a big run in that game and then beat the Spurs in that series. With Kawhi on the the floor, they looked dominant. And so I can't... Zaza Pachulia changed history, and I hate that I say that. But he changed history by doing something dirty. He earned his ring. Yeah, well, okay. But, then, uh, but now they've changed the rule and emphasized the rule so that you can't do that. The last thing the league wants is another Kawhi Leonard situation. But they looked like they were allowing it to happen to James Harden, who is right now probably the most important person in the NBA as far as the NBA is concerned when it comes to viewership and money. Because without yeah. James Harden on the floor, you don't have an interesting series with the Warriors. No. And and this is a hard rule for defenders because what James Harden has perfecto perfected over the last few years is <laughs> perfecto <laughs> has is drawing the foul, right? Yes. And so he he expands his landing zone, I'll say it uh, generously, right? By kicking a leg out or a foot out. And so if 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 a defender the problem is a defender will come forward and try to stop before the landing zone, but James Harden will drift a little forward, right? Doesn't necessarily jump straight up and will land on the defender. And so like both defender and shooter are heading towards each other, but the offensive player gets the call, right? And James Harden is really good at manipulating the or exploiting the rule um, to, to his benefit. 
And I heard, actually, uh, it was John Ireland who does a sports show in L.A. He was talking about this today. He's also the play-by-play guy for the Lakers. And he was saying his theory on, on why Harden doesn't get as many calls in the playoffs is because it's the better refs, right? So you get rid of the rookie refs and the, the, the younger refs and the, the refs that don't, don't have... fall for the stardom thing? Yes, and the, the, mm. the refs who have... you get Because you get in the playoffs, you get the veterans, right? Who've been there, done that, they've seen everything. Oh, they're not gonna be They're not going to be suckered in to the James Harden tactics as often. The beard. Right? And so you'll see you'll see James Harden and players like him take fewer free throw attempts in the playoffs. Uh, and oh, so that's that's a theory, right? He got plenty of free throw attempts against the Jazz. He did, but it was lower than his average. I think it was lower than his average. Not by they much. Were, they were still complaining about that it should have been more. Right, but even those games where he went like 0 for 13 to start the game against the Jazz, he still had like 20 points at half because he shot a bunch of free throws. Not 20, but he had like a ton of points at half because he was shooting a lot of free throws. But anyway... Uh, a lot of the analysts that were talking about the game before said there were three instances in the first half where James Harden should have been uh, given a foul shooting three-pointers because they did invade his landing zone. They followed the <laughs> Zaza Pachulia rule, right? Yeah. But Invade his landing zone. Yeah, well, what do you and, uh, But then in the second half, they said he was, he was actually like changing his body and contorting his body to emphasize it, right? And so in the second half, a lot of the analysts were saying, okay, no, this wasn't a foul because he's manipulating the landing zone. But in the first half, he should have been getting those calls and he wasn't. And that would have altered the game significantly. Uh, But, you know, this last two-minute report comes out and it's like, okay, there should have been a call here. There shouldn't have been a call here. And Steve Kerr pointed out, you know, it's just, it balances out. They miss calls for us. They miss calls for them. They make calls for us. They shouldn't make. They make calls for them. They shouldn't make. And it goes back and forth. Easy to say when you're the winners. Yeah. Well, and it leaked recently that ESPN had obtained this report, this memo that the Rockets put together last year after Game 7. It's like an 80-something page report that lists, you know, 75 or so violations or, or, or incorrectly called plays that favored Golden State instead of the Rockets and essentially the the memo says that current refs aren't trained to referee a Houston Rockets basketball game because the Rockets will train their players on ref tendencies so they know that a certain ref is more likely to call this landing zone violation or they're more likely to call a charge versus a block and and they will coach their players based on who is refing the game here's here's how we alter the it's not going to be a huge alteration but here's how we alter the game plan just, because of this refing crew just basically look to take more charges this game or don't try to take charges this game because this referee more likely than not will not give you the charge call they'll call yeah. you for a block so just it's better yeah. to defend this, the shot and this isn't unique in sports um really good pitchers and catchers know the strike zone tendencies of home plate umpires so baseball still a sport though what's that you said this isn't it, unique to sorry to the nba you said this is unique bad, to sports bad. and then you were around baseball and i was my like you, you, are you calling baseball unique not a sport? to this sport to 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 the nba yeah, greg maddox uh said uh that he knew every umpire strike zone that he wasn't pitching to a batter he was pitching to an umpire I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, and so so I think it does make sense here. It's probably it's a little bit harder, I think, maybe to analyze a three ref crew that changes consistently. Um, but um, but yeah, just an interesting thing, right? But it makes it, and there are there are claims that that wrote, that that memo wasn't actually authored by anyone within the Rockets organization. That maybe it was like some fan or something like that to put it's, it it's a fanfic. Yeah. Either way, like. It, well, not either way. If it if it did come from the Rockets, it does sound pretty like petty. I, I mean, wait, wait. Maybe, maybe it's something you say at a meeting, 
Pettiness in the NBA? Yeah, no. Zero days. Zero days. <laughs> the, the NBA has gone zero days without being unnecessarily petty. Yeah. Um, but the playoffs overall have been great. Yes. I love the OKC Portland series. I know. It ended up only being, what, five games? but, but It they felt were, like ten. They were in an emotional five games. And we talked last week about the uh, Russell Westbrook next question, right? Uh, well, when they lost in game five, okay, so first of all, Damian Lillard hit an almost 40-footer at the buzzer to win the series. He dropped a dame. An amazing shot. It's one of those, uh, you know, if you watch the highlights, you're like, well, what what a crazy shot. It's one of those situations where when you're watching it live and you see, like, the last five minutes of the game unfold and the last two minutes, and then you're there and you're like, oh, my goodness. Because they had to fight back to get tied. And then Lillard has the ball with 10 seconds left. And he's just dribbling at the at the logo near half court, and he starts to rise up. And Paul George is like, "Oh no!" Right? <laughs> and Paul George lunges for him to try and block the shot, can't get there in time, and Lillard drains it. And it's the second time he's done that in his career. Hit a super long three pointer to send a team home in the playoffs. And clearly not luck, because it's like nothing but net, and it is like perfect form. It's his normal form. Yeah. It's just incredible range. Yeah, we said last week that if there's like a player to watch, it's Damian Lillard, because he's so exciting. And then a couple days later, hits this amazing game winner. So, Basically, listen to us. Yeah, listen to us, people. Subscribe to our podcast, www.subjectivelycorrect.com. Buy some merch. We don't have any merch. Maybe one day. Um, Maybe one day when we're not so tired. So OKC goes home. What Russell Westbrook does not say next qu- next question. The uh, the Barry Trammell, uh, the reporter who always gets the next question response. In response to his, uh, we got some camera. Issue. Camera went sideways. Uh, in response to his question, uh, Russell Westbrook instead of saying next question said, "I don't know." Right. All right. You talk while I fix the camera. I don't really feel like that's necessary. I I, I fixed it by cocking my head to the side. Which I think is the best way to fix a camera. But one of the reasons why that game was, uh, that series was so entertaining was because it was competitive, but the Trailblazers were the better team, pretty clearly. What's frustrating for me is the way that Russell Westbrook is perceived. No one blamed him for the KD Harden years when they lost. No one blamed Russell Westbrook. No one's blaming him now. He gets off pretty scot free when, in, in, uh, Closeout games, either uh, the other team's closing out or the the Thunder are closing out, he disappears and he plays terribly. They got a really great performance in this series by Paul George. Playoff but, P. Yeah, but he just which still sounds like sounds like an infection you can get. <laughs> right? Did you Came get down a, with a bad case of playoff P? Yeah, it's like oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Did yeah. you get a prescription for it? It's like yeah, but the pharmacy was closed, mm. so you had to live with playoff P for an entire night without any medicine. I know it was the worst, but but Paul George played really great. And Russell Westbrook can't overcome that. And then the trash talk between the Blazers and the Thunder was so great. Mm. And to see the Blazers, who have been a great team for the last few years, get off of this awful losing streak they've been on in the playoffs, it's just been fun to watch. And to do it against a team that's talking a bunch of trash and is doing all this next question stuff, it seemed like a really fun, intense series, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And well, you know, as we get into off season, we can talk about this a little bit more, especially when we do our team by team breakdown of what every team should do in the off season. That I'm sounds really, like fun. I'm really looking forward to diving into the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Sell everything. Yeah, but move, move out of Memphis. But, but the Thunder are stuck in an interesting situation where you're in the bottom half of the Western Conference playoff teams. You're completely maxed out in terms of your salary cap. 
and your quote-unquote best player um, seems to be getting worse and not performing at his best when he needs to be. And you don't have movable pieces. No. You're no. not like the Celtics, who have a lot of really good movable pieces. Shout out Danny Ainge. Yeah. I mean, they could do something drastic, right? They could they could trade Steven Adams for like a number one pick and get some cap relief. You, but but you why would get you want to move him? You could not get a number one for Steven Adams. Oh, not not overall. I mean, like a first round pick. I don't think you can get a first round pick nah. for Steven Adams. I think Maybe. there are other guys in the NBA who can fill that role. And I don't think he's worth a number. I don't think he's worth a first rounder. I'm just saying, if you if you had to be creative, like you he's, he's a piece out. you would maybe try to move. But do you trust the Thunder front office to do something creative and productive and positive? I trust them to trade away James Harden to not re-sign Kevin Durant. Um, price him stab to that burn. Yeah. Something we haven't talked about yet is Kevin Durant. So he goes to a team that has two of the best shooters we've ever seen on the same team. That's unfair. And then. <laughs> He puts up 35 points a game in the playoffs this year. It's incredible what he's doing. And even though in the Clippers series he had that one game where he kind of disappeared and uh, said that he was just trying to play within the flow of the offense and, and whatever, and everyone's like, well, Michael Jordan would never do that. He would take over or whatever. And then he came out and scored 50 the next game. <laughs> I mean, he's, I, I don't, he gets a lot of criticism that, that's weird. Like other players will have bad games. Like Steph doesn't get that. He didn't play particularly well the other night. He makes a big three at the end of the game, and all, all is forgotten. Yeah. He makes a three. He does a shimmy, and everyone loves him because that's what will be remembered. But Kevin Durant has just been playing out of his mind for the last yeah, seven I, games, or whatever, in the playoffs. I think part of why um, Kevin Durant doesn't get the the acclaim he deserves, and and. Everyone has him in their top three players in the NBA, so it's not yeah. like he's underrated. Yeah. But but you're right. Like Steph definitely gets more praise, right? And it's I think part of it is just because Kevin Durant is kind of grumpy. Like he's unlikable. Yeah. There's there's a lot about him that's unlikable. And, he's one of those players like Patrick Beverly, where when he's on your team, you're like, great, yeah, gritty, uh, frustrating Kevin Durant. But then when he's not on your team, it's like, who's this guy? Yeah. Whereas Steph Curry, you know, he's smiling and happy and you know it seems like a guy like oh if i could hang out with someone for a night like might be fun to hang out with steph curry i do not want to hang out with kevin durant um but i mean if he was paying i'd, I'd hang out well, with him okay um but then you see stuff i don't know if you saw this uh this some dad like videoed on his phone of like he ran into kevin durant they were like staying at the same hotel as kevin oh, durant yeah right? yeah and kevin durant like bought their pizza or or at least maybe ran into the the dad who had a pizza in an elevator and and accompanied the dad back to the hotel room where his like two kids were and he delivered the pizza right and like took pictures with the kids signed autographs and like that's kind of cool right and he does a ton for charity and so i don't think is he a bad guy no but i think he just comes off as grumpy with the media and that that plays a big part of our perception because the media helps shape our perception right and is he any is he in any cutesy commercials cutesy commercials help because that's how the public perceives you 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 don't they don't see you at home with your family they don't see you like with your mom walking in the park talking about life and how much you appreciate her they see what the media allows you to see and it doesn't seem like kevin durant wants his life to be very public while steph curry will bring his daughter up onto the stage he'll do instagram stuff like he'll go on ellen you know what i mean is he the most unique player in the nba right now steph no, Kim Durant. Kim Durant. You got a seven footer. Yep. Right? Who can shoot threes. Yep. Who can drive, who yep. can handle, who yep. can pass, yep. who can defend. Yep. 
what is his weakness? He he takes if guards or uh, a small forward tried to guard him, right? He goes over. He shoots over them. If a big man posts up a big man, he can go around him. I mean, like there he's a complete mismatch. Kristaps Porzingis is maybe like close to him in terms of like. In terms of like similar skill set, similar skill set, but much lower level. Right? I mean, like yeah. they're very different in terms of where they are right now in their careers. Right. Well, I think to picture how good Kevin Durant is, imagine if Giannis Antetokounmpo was just a little smaller and could shoot forty percent from three. Yeah, that would be unstoppable. Oh wait, it is. It's named Kevin Durant. Yeah. Right. And I think when you say the most unique player, probably because he handles the ball, he can do it in transition, he can. Uh, pass really well for his size. Uh, the only thing he might struggle with is when you get those real, real big guys on him uh, when it comes like rebounding and stuff like that. So, but how often is he in, is he in that situation? Hardly ever. Yeah. In fact, when the Rockets went small, their biggest player at one point last night was PJ Tucker, Tucker who's like six seven, six eight. Right, and then it was just Kevin Durant shooting over him like Dirk Nowitzki, but it wasn't even difficult. It was like me guarding him out there. It would have been the same thing. And so I think he is. I think he is the biggest mismatch, maybe in the history of basketball. Brandon, we both love baseball. Yes. Uh, last week we talked about the Tim Anderson situation. Timmy. Tim Anderson, who uh, was the White Sox player who uh, got hit after hitting a home run and bat tossing his bat. Didn't flip it. He, he threw it in disgust. Yeah. Like I'm done with this bat. Bring me another one. Uh, uh, Colt Sawyer, who we've had on the show before, yes. uh, one of our best listeners and, and best fans, uh, said this about the situation. So you know how much I love baseball and the t- tradition of the game. However, the game is more entertaining with guys like Bonds, Griffey, and Harper. They play with attitude and, are, and they are fun to watch. I have no problem with the bat flip. Home runs are hard to come by, so let the kids get excited about it. Pitchers need to tip their caps and get them next time. This throwing at the batter because they hit a home run and flipped their bat shows complete lack of confidence. At the same time, I don't have a problem with a pitcher showing some emotion after a strikeout either. So Colt's all about the bat flips and stuff like that because mm-hmm. he's he's right. Hitting a home run is one of the most difficult things in sports. Hardest thing in the universe. Right, according to who now? Uh, Jason, Jason Worth. Worth. Jason Worth, the philosopher. Maybe, oh, yeah, I think Galaxy is what he said. So. Uh, philosopher, poet, Jason L- Worth. Less difficult than universe. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, we talked about that a little bit, and then he mentioned the uh, the situation with the Mets and the Phillies rec- recently, where a Phillies uh, player was thrown at twice by the same pitcher mm. in the he- area of the head. So it didn't seem like a coincidence, right? Yeah. And people weren't happy, obviously. Next time, the very next day, this pitcher was in again, pitching to the same batter who took him yard and hit a big old home run. Home run. And then this player, I'm forgetting his name, but it, Rames, they, they don't matter. Rames, something. Rames, I think. Rames. Rames, whatever. If Colt were here, he'd be rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> anyway, uh, he took over 36 seconds to round the bases. Oh, Royce Huskins. Royce Huskins. Yeah. Which is the longest I don't know home if that's how you run pronounce trot. the name, but yeah. Yeah, it's Hoskins. Yeah. It, it was the longest home run trot in recorded history. And so I was like, what's the difference between doing that and throwing your bat? Right, and which would you rather have? If you were a if you were a pitcher and someone hit a home run on you, would you rather have them toss the bat or flip the bat? Or would you rather have them take thirty six seconds to round the bases? To give you an idea, I'd want them to flip the bat. To give you an idea, that's one second for every ten feet. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd want to just get on to the next batter, and so 
by him prolonging that celebration. Uh, I think that would get to me more than a bat flip. Yeah. So Colt, he uh, he asked me if I saw that situation, and I said yeah. And he said he thought it was awesome. Personally, he thought it was great. So Colt, who uh, who grew up playing baseball, actually, uh, I played for his dad as a kid. His dad was a coach. I played with his brother. So our baseball ties go go way way back. I respect his opinion a lot on baseball. He said he's he's perfectly fine with all the bat flipping, the slow home run trot, staring at the ball, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I I love it too. Bringing all that stuff. I just don't like that we give pitchers the ability to cheer, say F yeah, and, and yell and stare down the batter and all that stuff when they strike him out. And then the pit, the batters aren't given that same opportunity and in a defenseless position are having baseballs thrown at them in retaliation for things that the ba- uh, pitchers do all the time and we just accept it. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I go back to what I said last week and, you know, it's kind of my governing rule is just that if you're going to impose some kind of penalty there should be a rule in place first and this is the problem all these rules are unwritten and it's like we're not going to write these rules down yeah. because we're just gonna li- but then the players are enforcing it themselves like you said it's kind of like hockey where you just kind of let like take i the still think and go i still think we should let the pitcher and batter go at it for two minutes i don't know man or maybe maybe you have the mascots do it and <laughs> the mascot fights yeah some teams don't have mascots, dude. Right? Well, every team will. That's true. But then you're going to get like UFC guys, like Boone <laughs> Riding right. as mascots. You're going to get John Cena on the sidelines. <laughs> but I mean like real fighters, though. Oh, yeah. I mean like actual real fighters who fight for a living. Hulk Hogan? Chris Hemsworth is going to play Hulk Hogan in a movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So Vlad Jr. <laughs> People haven't been this excited about a prospect in a while, and Vlad Jr. is going to be good. He's going to be really good by all analyst predictions, right? Yeah, so Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is the son of, you guessed it, Vlad the Impaler Guerrero. I remember one of my favorite things ever was Vlad Guerrero hitting a home run at a ball that was eye level. Yeah. Like fastball eye level, and he tomahawk chopped the crap out of that ball 400 feet to left field. He was such an imposing, intimidating player because he didn't wear gloves. And for some reason... That's the only thing that made him imposing? I mean, obviously he had skill and he could hit hit the ball out, right? No matter where you pitched it. Yeah, but like... When a, when a professional baseball player doesn't wear batting gloves, for, there's something inside me that just says, oh, like, that guy is super tough, right? And I don't know why. Like, I guess it's because, like, if they can take the bat rattle, right? Like, I don't know. It just, maybe it's just, like, a mental thing. I don't know. But you think there's there's a few, like, pinch hitters who do that. And they're just kind of, like, burly guys. And they're like, I don't need batting gloves. But it seems like they, <laughs> it seems like they have, like, extra power. So I just I get super intimidated when I see these batters without batting gloves. I always think they're kind of dumb, because it's like here here's this technology that will make you better, and they're like no thank you. They don't need it. They got superpowers. <laughs> okay sure. That's why all the best players in the history of baseball have not worn batting gloves. Oh wait, Griffey, Bonds, Chipper Jones, Andrew uh, Jones, Aspen, Frank Ruth. Thomas. Well yeah, they didn't have batting gloves. <laughs> they barely had fielding gloves back then. They probably each had one glove. And it was something their you mom knit for them. get a cap or a glove. Yeah, you pick. <laughs> do you want a baseball cap or do you want a glove? But anyway, so Vlad Jr. is going to be a fun player to keep uh, keep our eyes on. And it's a really fun father-son situation. Yeah. But I love that the, the Griffies and the Bonses played together. I think that's super cool. And we may not see that again in sports. LeBron and his son would be like next-level stuff. But it yeah, really it doesn't happen. happen in sports. Yeah, I mean, it's super... I mean, c- Right, because someone has to play like 20 years, right, yep. for that to happen. And you have to have a kid really young. 
Yes. That makes it to the professional sport you are currently playing. That's right. The odds of that are infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. That means really small. Toddlerific. All right. Cody Bellinger, go. Yeah. So, okay. So if you haven't been paying attention to baseball yet, and... Which is all of you. And that's fine, because... Be honest. Th- those of you saying, hey, I've been paying attention to baseball, you are lying. It's still April. I just... I want to heap, heap some praise on Cody Bellinger, okay? We've had four... No, we've had five weeks of baseball now, and he's been player of the week for the National League one time, okay? But he will win player of the month, even though Christian Yelich has won player of the week twice. Here, just listen to a few of the stats that Cody Bellinger has accumulated through his first 29 games this season. In 103, sorry, 124 plate appearances, okay, he has 30 runs, 30 runs over 29 games. So over one run per game. 44 hits, two doubles, one triple, 14 home runs, which leads to the majors. Is that six doubles? Six doubles. Yeah, what'd I say? You said two, but whatever. Okay. Six doubles, six a doubles. triple, 14 home runs. 14 home runs. 36 RBI. Dang. 36 RBI in 29 games. Five stolen bases. He also leads the majors and caught stealing three times. So. Well, that happens. Yeah. 17. So he's, wa- been, he's been running a lot. Yeah. Dang. 17, uh, 17 walks to 14 strikeouts. He has the same number of strikeouts that he has home runs. Whoa. A 427 batting average. That's almost as high as mine my senior year of high school. 427. Actually, it's about 40 points lower than mine. Now, 42 to be exact. I hit 469 my senior year. Now, 400 is kind of like a mythical number, right? Like, some the best hitters in the game haven't done it. It's been done... A handful of times. A handful of times, and not nothing like in the recently common era. Wasn't it Ichiro? Did Ichiro? No. Did he not quite get there? It was I don't think he Ted did. Williams, I think, was the last one. Yeah, I think that's right. And and Ichiro came close. We were all watching very closely to see if he could get to that mythical 400 number, but it was Ted Williams and, and the last and one. Tony, to Tony Gwynn came really close, and he would have got it if it wasn't for, I forget what year it was, but it was a, a strike-shortened year, mm. and he was like hot in August, and like they cut off the last month. He was like in the 390s. Anyways, um, so 427. And, and I've heard some people say online or, or in the media that, oh, it's still a small sample size. True. But we're looking at 29 games. That's almost a fifth of the season. That's 124 at-bats. So the sample size is growing. Yeah. I mean, and, and is he going to bat 427 for the season? No. I mean, I don't think so. That'd be amazing. His on-base percentage is 500 right now. Is he, is he going to hit 80 home runs? No. Is he going to hit 200 RBI? Probably not, right? Uh, he's he's on fire, and he it's it's very unlikely he sustains this level of production. His OPS is 14-13. He's got a 14-13 OPS, David. That's Bonds-esque. He's got a slugging percentage of 9-13. Bonds-esque. On base again. percentage of 500. Bonds-esque. Okay. Total base is 94. The previous record for the first month of baseball was 83. So he he now owns the the major league record yeah. for total bases in a month in the first month of baseball. Oh, in the first month. Yeah, so you okay. count you count March and April games ah. according to baseball uh, statisticians. Okay. Those yeah. guys. Yeah. That's crazy. So he's and uh, I saw a quote by Tim Kirchner that just said he's doing damage to everything. Yeah. So pitchers and, cannot find a way to get him out. And the craziest thing to me about all this is that he's 23 years old. He's in his second full season, right? He, he was called up 
Uh, he played 132 games his rookie season. He played all 162 last season. And, and they needed him in all 162 last year with yeah, injuries and stuff. Yeah. And um, and and now this year he's finally a full-time starter. He'll start either in right field or first base depending on the, the matchups. Uh, and he's great defensively, right? So offensive production is awesome. But defensively as well, you can put him almost anywhere on the diamond and he'll be a, a positive defender for you. So, I, I mean, I don't have much more to say about him. I hope this, this continues because obviously it's, it's going really well for the Dodgers because of it. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a pretty historic streak that he's on right now. Yeah. And, um, and whether or not it continues, it's a lot of fun. And, but I think he's really figured some things out offensively. You look at his, his uh, swing and miss percentage, I think it, it's down to like 5%. I mean, it's, he's just he's hitting everything. He's making contact all the time. He's rarely striking out, and that's so positive because. So he used to have a very oh, this is okay. You can go to sleep for a minute. He used to have a very open stance last year and the year before. His stance was really open. He had a really hard time hitting sliders and anything anything trailing away from him. Okay, and um, he he'd reach for it and, and and wouldn't be able to catch up to it. He's close to stance off, right? So his his front shoulder is more turned in. And he's going opposite field a lot more now on the outside stuff, where before he was trying to pull it. And well, that that doesn't sound like that big a deal. For a left-handed batter to alter his swing this much over one offseason and to see this result, that's amazing. What what I've seen at least twice, so it means it's probably happened more because I haven't seen every at-bat of his, is... He he often will uh, get the switch right where you'll you'll pull the uh, the third baseman over to like second base. You'll put the second baseman between second and first, so you have three infielders on the right side of the field. Yeah, he'll get the shift. He'll get the shift. He'll shorten up his swing, and he'll he'll uh, he'll hit it around the shift right, which is he. I don't know that he ever did that before, right? He would still pull the ball into it. And a lot of left-handed batters, they'll see that shift, but they're not equipped to pull uh, or, or push the ball into left field. They just they just don't do that, it seems. Yeah. And that's why the shift works, because they know that this player isn't equipped to go the opposite field. So if Bellinger has developed the ability to go opposite field, uh, teams are in trouble. Yeah. So Bellinger, he's good, right? Can you read you can I was going to sing that. I was just going to sing that. But I sing it first. You sing it first. Yeah, it makes you me get, better. You I, get mean, credit. I get credit because I did it first and I'm better at singing. All right. This is the spoilers section of the podcast. If yeah. you have not seen Avengers Endgame, we recommend you turn off the podcast and come back and listen to this after you've seen it. Uh, we will be talking about things that happened in the movie, and uh, yeah, let's get into it. So David, you and I both saw it on Saturday. You threatened to text me spoilers because you knew you were getting in about an hour before me, and I called you an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, and, and for uh, for our number one fan, it was literally the letter A mm-hmm. followed by the word hole. Uh, yeah, I didn't, so, I, I'm not into that swearing thing. Yeah, so. Uh, Wholesome. All right, David. So what we we had predictions. I don't know if you went back and listened. To I did those listen. Pred- I did. Uh, so tell me, how did your prediction shake out? So I predicted that Captain America would be the one to sacrifice himself. Yes. Okay. So it was flipped a little bit, and Iron Man was the one to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. And 
after seeing the entire movie, you could kind of see that it was leaning towards Iron Man making a big sacrifice because that was kind of the completion of his story arc, yeah. right? Where he went started off being a very, very selfish person to becoming an unselfish person and then doing the most unselfish thing he possibly yeah. could, which is give his life for everyone else. And, and he was the Avenger that at that point in time had the most to lose, right? Captain America, who did he really have? Right, that was like dependent on him, or he wasn't in a relationship with anyone. Yeah, the Avengers, that was his family. Like he yeah. said about, like what he said about Black Widow. More on her later. Yeah, um, but but Iron Man, Tony Stark, he's married Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts, is that her name? Yep. Okay. Alliteration. It's a thing in Marvel Universe. <laughs> he he has a daughter, Peter right? Parker. He's like Scott. Summers. Really settled down as a family man and seems genuinely happy. Susan Storm. For the first time in this series. Fing Fang Foom. Right. And so Victor Von Doom. He's he's super head. So they Silver. come up with a plan, right? That yeah. that they need to they need to trace down or track down the infinity stones and bring them to the current time, which is five years after the the events in Avengers Infinity War. Mm -hmm. Five years after half the universe disappears. Right. And bring it back so that they uh, can, in a new Infinity Gauntlet that that Tony Stark creates... um, Snap everyone back. Snap everyone back, right? Undo the damage. Uh, Well, at least most of the damage there were certain people they wouldn't be able to bring back gamora because she was a sacrifice for the soul stone right and whoever would be used in this case black widow to uh to acquire the soul stone uh couldn't be brought back but everyone else who was gone with the snap would be brought back and he was he was hesitant to do this because who is he Tony Stark. Tony Stark. He was hesitant to go along with the plan. One, he didn't think that they could actually travel in time. Right. right. And and one of the things that shocked me about the movie, and this kind of set everything else in motion, was they fairly quickly and fairly easily tracked down Thanos and kill him in like the first ten minutes of yeah. the movie. And I was like, uh oh, so where do you go from here? So that and that, you know, you have to squint a little bit at my prediction, but I did say that Thanos would use the Infinity Gauntlet again. Yes. And uh, and that's and that would somehow lead to his demise, right? And I didn't know that that would like right. And when he yeah. when he snapped his fingers and destroyed the stones, I was like, okay, my prediction's out because I felt like someone would have to use the the gauntlet to bring everybody back, and I thought it would be Cap. And then when that happened, I was like, well, let's see where this goes. Yeah. So I didn't know. And then they brought the time travel element into it, and I was like, my prediction's still alive. So. Yeah. And I knew there was gonna be time time traveling. I think I said Captain Marvel would just fly super fast. Right, you didn't mention <laughs> to, that. To initiate the time travel. Right. But she, apparently she's a busy girl, man. She's, like, she's basically uh, saving the universe by she, herself. She, I, want, I want to talk a little bit more about her because she's verging on and maybe has surpassed like Superman territory. Because what makes Superman a bad comic book character is that he has, the, he has one flaw and it's a space rock. Right? Really hard to get. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, any ability, it's just super, right? Every, he's... he's an average man except super in every way. Yep. Right? And so, unlike Batman, who's just inherently a flawed character, a flawed guy, troubled past, uh, and has to fight against his demons and makes... Batman's much more of a Marvel character than a DC character, in my opinion. A lot of DC characters just have these, like, superpowers, like a Wonder Woman, an Aquaman, and it's like, they don't have to fight for those powers, or they don't have, like, some flaw that keeps... Whereas Batman does. Anyways. I think that's what makes Batman so endearing, is because he's so so relatable in that way. Like, he feels like if a real person was put in these crazy circumstances with the stuff that he has, he might be that way. So anyway, yeah. I think that's why Batman is so popular. Yeah, so so I, I fear for a Captain Marvel 
franchise. Like, what... I mean, she's super powerful, has essentially no weakness. Where do they where do they take that character? And there's there's like crazy levels of like powerful things in the Marvel universe. One of them is, and I can't think of it, but the, the Devourer of Worlds. I forget that guy's name. Not Thanos, but it's something else. Okay. Ultron. Ultron. Is it Ultron? Uh, something. I don't know. But there's this being that like literally consumes planets, and she seems like the only kind of character that would be able to defeat something like that. But is that the one like, from Doctor Strange? The the no, uh, that's different. That's okay. different. Uh, the Silver Surfer ends up being like the herald for this Devourer of Worlds guy. But anyway, okay. so she's gonna have to go off on her own and take care of these intergalactic threats, while the other Avengers at home are gonna have to take care of the more threats localized at home. threats. Exactly right. So so that's that's the only saving grace with with uh, Captain Marvel is she'll be off way far yeah. away doing those types of things that the other Avengers couldn't handle. Interesting. Okay. Um, so so go, going back to uh, Tony Stark though, he he was the the in the best position to make a meaningful sacrifice. Yes, he, like you said, he had the most to lose. So for a sacrifice to mean something, much has to be given up, and he gave up a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, like, that wasn't necessarily the plan, right? It wasn't the plan for him to end up with the Infinity Gauntlet and to snap his fingers, but it fell to him, and he didn't hesitate. He did it, I'm sure, knowing what the consequences would be. Right, and I loved... Uh, this movie was so good because it was, how I mean, Iron Man came out a long time ago. It was like ten years or more of a culmination of all this foreshadowing and things that have been going on. Yeah. It was so interconnected and so intertwined that every movie felt significant. Every character played a significant part from the the first Avengers movie uh, and before to all the Thors and all that stuff to the very end and there's this huge arc and I'm so glad it was a three hour movie because you couldn't have fit that much character development and tied up loose ends without it being a three hour movie yeah and uh, it, it just felt so satisfying because they foreshadowed all of these things like one of my favorite moments was when at the end Iron Man says when, when Thanos says I am inevitable when yeah. he sees the gauntlet on and he says I am Iron Man and then snaps his fingers. <laughs> that was so cool because it, it harks back to the very first movie that they did for this cinematic universe in Iron Man where he comes out and he says, I am Iron Man, which I think is an ad-libbed line. I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. threw that in there and oh, really? they turned it into the movie. Yeah. So that's super cool yeah. that they were able to do that. And it's kind of a – and this was a huge swan song for Robert Downey Jr. as well. I mean the Iron Man character got to go back and back in time and see his – father and kind of have that closure because you know he had a really rough relationship with his dad at first but then he realized that bucky the as the winter soldier killed his parents yeah and they didn't like abandon him and stuff and so he and then being able to see his dad and like connect with him and have that really human connection that he never really got with his dad it was super cool it was a much more emotional movie than i was prepared for um you always know, go into a marvel movie knowing there's going to be a lot of action and it's going to be funny there's going to be a lot of comedic relief throughout uh, but and it this has one, to be because it was heavy. But this one really kind of tugged on your heartstrings, especially if you've watched all of the movies right. in the Marvel Universe. And even minor characters like Peter Quill, Star-Lord. Yeah. Like seeing Gamora, who he, last time he was alive, before he gets snapped back, she was dead. Mm -hmm. So to see her back and to have that connection, and then later realizing that this is the Gamora from the past that didn't know who he was and didn't love him, yeah, like, it was heartbreaking to see that. Yeah, and I think in uh, in these movies where you have such a huge ensemble cast, some of the actors or characters can kind of feel 
like an afterthought and i didn't feel like anyone was really an afterthought maybe the antenna lady in the guardians of the galaxy but she, but she was never a major <laughs> but she was never a major, yeah, yeah yeah exactly but and so like it felt like everyone had like an essential role to play and um and how how they were able to bring everyone together and okay i've seen like some people mm, down on like the i am woman hear me roar scene where like the women avengers um charged thanos and his forces and i just i thought it was awesome like i it was one of those i got it kind of got chills when i saw it right and i didn't feel like there was any kind of like political messaging there i just thought like yeah they're like they're awesome avengers and they're helping out and and i it wasn't until afterwards i saw people like i don't know upset about it or thinking like someone was trying to push an agenda through that's uh, those those people drive me nuts that are like oh pushing an agenda pushing an agenda like i have a buddy who told me he he didn't like uh one of the star wars movies because of the political messaging in it and i was like it's star wars dude it doesn't even happen on earth (laughs) it literally takes place thousands of thousands maybe millions of years before our time in a galaxy so far away that they have no idea what earth even is and you're gonna say oh no that's talking about gun control or it's talking about republican democrat stuff like Mm -hmm. whatever dude just watch star wars yeah same kind of thing here like man just enjoy that moment and why not be happy that women are getting representation yeah, like the people that are upset about that need to take a long, hard look at the mirror. Um, should they look in the mirror too, or just at it? I love Captain America. I'm so happy he got a storybook ending. Me too. And what's really interesting from a storytelling perspective, the first Avengers movie, and this is just amazing from a storytelling perspective and from a writing perspective. The first Avengers movie, uh, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark have a big argument. Where uh, the the big that famous argument where it starts with uh, a big man in a suit take that away and who what are you genius billionaire playboy philanthropist right that great <laughs> line but one of the last parts of that argument which is really telling and says a lot about the two characters is Captain America says you're not the type of guy to make the sacrifice play to lay down on the wire mm-hmm. and let the man walk over you and Iron Man says I would just cut the wire so what happens at the end of this movie yeah. Iron Man lays down on the wire and lets everyone walk over him. And Captain America cuts the wire and breaks the rules and goes back in time to have his storybook ending. Yeah. And clearly Captain America is one of the best and, and purest characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is able to, to wield Mjolnir, which was such a cool moment for me. Like when uh, in That's Age of Thor's Ultron. Hammer. Yeah, in Age of Ultron, when everyone's trying to lift the hammer, um, Captain America actually moves a little bit. And Thor's like, oh no, like, whoa, he gets shocked. He's like, huh, see, I knew you couldn't do it or whatever. Yeah. And then when he grabs it and Thor says, I knew it. <laughs> uh, that gave me the chills. And as soon as I saw Mjolnir moving, I went, oh, and the theater was completely silent. And my gasp was probably the loudest thing in the theater. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, because I knew it was coming. And then when he caught it, I was like, yeah. I was all excited. Yeah. Oh, it was so cool because Cap's my favorite character. And this just like was one of the most validating moments for Cap. Because it's like, not only is he worthy, but he deserved that moment. For himself yeah. and for everyone to see that, it was so cool. And his shield is all broken and stuff because Thanos' blade is probably made out of vibranium and the adamantium, whatever, and then broke his shield. Unobtainium. Yeah. But then to see that moment come together and he's fighting Thanos by himself, it was such a cool, uh, super cool moment for me and for him. And so if any character deserved that storybook ending... It was Captain America. And people have pointed out that he broke the rules of time travel that they set up earlier in the movie and things like that. And from a storytelling perspective, for some characters, you break the rules. Captain America is one of those guys that 
it's okay if you break the rules for him a little bit because he's such a central character and he deserved more than anybody to have this. He, he sacrificed everything before. He sacrificed himself and continued to live a selfless life for years. And to have him go back and live that life that he wanted to with Peggy Carter, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the, the children she had with that other guy being wiped out of history. I'm okay with that guy losing his wife and Peggy Carter. I'm okay with all of that because Captain America is one of, if not the most deserving character in that TV, in that franchise of having that storybook ending. Yeah. One person Plus, who, I just like him. Yeah. So one of the Avengers that didn't really get the storybook ending, didn't really get the happy ending, was Black Widow. Right. And it was a very meaningful ending for her character. Um, she and Hawkeye are, uh, I forget the planet, the name of the planet they go Bormir? to. Yeah, something like that. Uh, where they have to go to get the Soul Stone. And as we learned in Avengers Infinity War, when Thanos sacrifices Gamora, his daughter, there has to be a meaningful sacrifice. Yeah, you have to give a sacrifice you of life. A soul for a soul. Uh, to obtain the, the Soul Stone. And um, so there is a, a back and forth between Hawkeye and Black Widow about who, once they once it dawns on them that one of them is going to have to sacrifice themselves for the stone, who's going to do it? And they, they, they all think it's going they, to be... They, they're yeah. each offering themselves up, and uh, but, but not realizing they're talking about themselves. Right. And what, what I love about that scene, something I truly love, is you have two characters that are male and female who aren't in love who just share a really strong friendship. Yeah, there's a very strong bond between them. Right, and it, it's not a romantic one. And you don't see that enough in the movies, where there's there's a great character that's a male, a great character that's female. Uh, and, and there's they, nothing romantic about yes, it. Yes, and it's almost like characters like that can't just be friends. No, they can. Black Widow and Hawkeye are just that close that it was enough of a sacrifice yeah. for one of them to sacrifice each other to get it back. They loved each other as friends, and that was such a cool thing to see. And they had something to bond over in the Avengers. It didn't really wasn't really addressed in the movies, but they don't have superpowers. Yeah. They're just highly skilled people, right? They they've lots of training, very interesting backstories if you read uh, I've read some of the Hawkeye comic books and um anyways, I he, I think he's just a really cool character. Right. And my wife loves Black Widow for that reason. I think she's uh, Black Widow is my wife's favorite Avenger because of that. She's not superpowers. She doesn't have super soldier serum. She doesn't have billions of dollars in a crazy suit. She just has skills, and my wife mm-hmm. loves that about her. And uh, so, anyways, they Hawkeye and and Black Widow essentially race to sacrifice themselves and save to, to, save the other one several times to hurl themselves off the cliff uh, to to obtain the Soul Stone. Eventually. Um, Black Widow puts herself in a position where she is the one to be sacrificed. And it, and, and Hawkeye thinks he's unredeemable. Yeah. Because he goes off on a crazy rampage, vigilante style. Yeah, so he lost his family when the uh, when Thanos snapped his fingers. He lost his wife and three kids. And so he decides that, you know, if, if the good, they were good people taken and there were bad people left behind, that he would finish the job, right? He would... He would get rid of the bad people. And so you have a scene earlier where they talk about a Mexican cartel being wiped away. And then there's a scene of him um, uh, killing the Yakuza, I think is probably who it is. The Japanese mafia, right? Mo, I'm sorry. Sorry, Mo. Uh, Yakuza. I'm sorry. He, Yakuza. He, 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 uh, he speaks Japanese, so I wanted to make sure we got it right. Ah. He's going to correct me later, I'm ah. sure. But but yeah, that, and then Black Widow sees him after he finishes off the Yakuza, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, <laughs> and so he he saw himself as unredeemable, right? There's nothing he can do. He didn't deserve to live anymore, and that's why he mm-hmm. said, "We both know who it has to be." Yeah. And she said, 
And he says, tell, tell my family I love them. And she says, tell them yourself, right? And that was such a cool moment. And Natasha sacrificing herself so that her friend can get his family back is a super touching moment. Yeah. Because, you know, she, I did not she, cry. She could have she could have lived and, and possibly, you know, I been with the Hulk. Right. Like that was the obvious relationship there. I don't know if that would have worked out because he's now perma Hulk. <laughs> He's weird now. <laughs> He's half Hulk. Kind of funny. <laughs> I, like I wonder it. if his. I wonder if his story is over. If we're gonna see more of him, but um, but I, I think this was a. It was probably a fitting end for her because what gave her the most joy in her life were the Avengers, right? And so to sacrifice herself for them and for their families, um, I think is is a fitting and, and touching end for her. Um, it was just a great move. There were so many really cool parts i want to go see it again yeah um i want to go see it again with my wife i feel like the first hour will be hard to get through not because it's bad it's just so heavy and like to have to go through that again right uh, but it was what i liked about it was it was all set up so well yeah and the the scenes where they went back in time where they were like they were in new york yeah. like watching uh that was so great and ant-man paul rudd as ant-man He's is so funny so good and he does everything so well so even like his emotional <laughs> acting when he sees his daughter Five years, yeah. Grown, that is such an emotional moment when she realizes my dad's not dead because he goes and looks at the the memorial of all the all the people that right. have died, and then it, he sees, sees his it, name. Yes, the first thing he thinks of is Cassie, and he runs home. That was so emotional, and uh, he realizes that um, Hope's gone, and uh, old Ant Man Douglas, what's his name, Pim, Pim, Hank Pim's gone. Uh, Ant Man is a great character, and I've loved all the movies he's been in. And so to see him kind of shine and stuff and be good comedic relief, but also play a big part in the battle of saving uh, Rocket and saving, uh, who else does he save? Rocket and Brody. Uh, War, uh, Warhammer is his name, right? The, uh, anyway, to see Ant-Man play a major role is really good. And then when... Uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was funny how he's like the idiot of the crew. And I didn't really think about that because like he's, yeah, he's like a heist guy, right? He's a bank robber. He's really smart though. But he's, he's smart in his own right, but like in the group, he's the dumb one. Right? <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah, you have, the, you have the war hero Captain America who's like a master strategist and, and <laughs> fighter. And then you have Robert, uh, uh, Tony Stark who is a super genius. You have uh, Rocket and then the Hulk. Hulk. <laughs> and then you have... The time heist guy. Yeah, it's like, what are we gonna call him? He's like a time heist, and everyone's like, <laughs> but it was it was his idea. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Uh, so I'm glad the character Ant Man's gonna stick around, and I'm glad he's good. Something else that I wanted to point out: I love Stephen Strange. The character of Doctor Strange is really yeah. great, and you know, give me some more Benedict Cumberbatch in my life, just so I can come on this podcast and say Benedict Cumberbatch a thousand times. But when uh, the Sorcerer Supreme in New York during the battle is fighting off, keeping the uh, the, the, the bad alien guys away from uh, the, uh, the, the time stone and away from their uh, sanctum in New York, right? And then the Hulk comes and talks to her, and she says, oh, no, that's five years from now. Well, he, he'll become the Sorcerer Supreme because mm -hmm. the Hulk goes looking for Stephen Strange. And she said, well, he's supposed to be the best of us. He gave the stone away, and it starts clicking in a place that she's like, this must be how it needs to be. Yeah, this must be the one scenario where... Yes. He would give it away. Right. And so she, as soon as she realizes that, uh, and she says, why would he give it away? He's supposed to be the best of us. And that yeah. says so much about about Stephen Strange and his character. And I'm really excited to see more Stephen Strange. And, and I thought it was a little redemptive for her character. The, um, what's her, what's her name? The, the Sorceress Supreme. Uh, Sorceress Supreme, one. yeah. Because you're kind of left with, uh... Bad taste a little bit? Bad taste in your mouth a little bit from, from the Doctor Strange movie. Um, so yeah, I think it was, I think it was awesome to, to see that side of her where she 
has such faith in uh, in Doctor Strange. All right. Well, before we end, we have to talk Thor. Well, I want to talk Thor, and I want to talk time travel, just for a second. Okay, time travel, go, and then Thor? Or should we go Thor and then time travel? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, because mine, mine relates to what do we do now? Like, moving forward, how, okay. does, this, how does all this affect everything? So do you want to do Thor or time travel? Yes, 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 Thor. Thor okay, Thor. thank you. Thor, Thor, Thor. Answer the question. So dad bought Thor was hilarious. Yes. It, uh... It didn't wear off either. Like, seeing chubby Thor was hilarious throughout the entire thing. I was expecting some kind of montage where he'd, like, run up a mountainside <laughs> and then come back with just, like, an amazing 12-pack, right? Uh, but, no, he, he kept he kept the beer belly the entire movie. I thought that was right. great. And his his fall from grace is really interesting because he, he failed absolutely. He took it hard. And now his people, Asgard was destroyed, right? His people were almost wiped out. And he took it really hard, and he was supposed to be king, and they still treated him as the king, but he was just a slob. And uh, the character Doug, hi, I'm Doug, (laughs) the big rock guy, (laughs) he's so funny, (laughs) complaining about the kid calling him names on Fortnite. (laughs) That's hilarious. You listen to me. This is Thor, God of Thunder. If you call my friend that again, I will fly to your house. (laughs) Yeah, so great. But I, the character of Thor made me really sad through a lot of the movie and i felt like this can't be the way thor's story ends no because it was just he he didn't complete his story like he didn't he wasn't completely redeemed so now he goes off with the guardians of the galaxy and now you get peter quill versus thor tension that's going to make the next guardians of the galaxy movie super great yeah um so so a couple things that i like questions that i have moving forward one loki took one of the stones remember that the, the stone that that uh stark and um who was it? And Ant-Man were supposed to retrieve. Right, but then they went back in time to the 1970s and grabbed it there. That's right. But but did Loki set off a different timeline, right? Because he took that stone and disappeared. He must have because... And so I wonder if we'll ever see what happens on that timeline. I think we have to. And I think maybe you get Red Skull back from that. Oh, interesting. Um, and I, and I, I'm pretty sure with the, um, the Disney channel thing that they're doing their uh, streaming service i thought i heard rumors that there may be a loki project oh and so it maybe it stems from this wouldn't surprise me be interesting to see um other questions about okay so everyone was gone for five years and came back and they had an age they, they were themselves and so you have is the entire marvel universe now set in 2024 you know what they did? Through the storyline, they bought themselves five more years to play with. Yeah. And so so when when Peter Parker goes back to high school, he sees his friend who must have disappeared, right? Yes. Because, because he's, he's still the, the same, same age, age. right? Mm-hmm. And assume, I assume everyone who was who's going to be in the next Peter Parker movie, in the next Spider-Man movie, also disappeared and came back. So you, I wonder... I imagine... Uh, what is it? The uh, the Spider Man movie that comes out this summer? Do we Far know? From home. Far from home. Do we know if it takes place pre Infinity War or post Infinity War? It's got to take place post, right? Uh, well, I don't know because it's got all the same kids, and so that would assume all of them disappeared and came back and then went back to high school. Right. Like, first of all, would you go back to high school? <laughs> I don't know. As if if, if, if I'm Peter Parker, it's like I'm just going to own being Superman at this point. Well, he's Spider Man, so he can't own being Superman. <sighs> Too true. Too true. Right? But I, I see what you're saying. But that's one of the charms of, yeah. of Peter Parker as a character. Like, he wants to keep going to school. He yeah. wants to go to college. He wants to do those things. He wants to dance in the street weirdly in his emo clothes. Yeah. Don't ever do that again. But so, that's so, one of the charms of Spider-Man. Yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Marvel Universe handles 
like the next iteration because you assume they're not going to just disregard what happened in Infinity War. Right? No, of course not. They it, can't. It, it's it's part of it's part of the canon for this this cycle of movies or right. the next cycle of movies. Right. And and all the original Avengers, their storylines have either moved on to a whole different thing, like Thor's going off with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Captain America has his lived his life. Iron Man is dead. Um, Black Widow is gone. Hawkeye is with his family, and he might want to retire for real this time, or at least they have an excuse to say, "Oh, he's retired. Leave him alone." In the mm-hmm. Infinity War. Um, just broke him to leave him alone. We don't want to bother him again. And then you have who am I missing? Um, Hulk. And then Hulk. He's he's half and half. So he yeah. has a very different storyline going on with him too. And who knows what's going to happen with him? But it gives way for all these new characters to make a new Avengers. Yeah. So maybe Captain America is like the old sage that like helps him through stuff. But you have um, Spider Man, Doctor Strange. Um, the new Captain America, Sam, who plays Falcon. Yeah. Which I thought they were gonna go Bucky. Like when I saw the Winters, when I saw yeah. the shield there, uh, Bucky has been Captain America before in iterations of the Marvel universe. And so to see Sam take that role, I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, that line at the end, he says, "It doesn't feel like, it feels like it's somebody else's." And Captain America said, "It's not." And if you look closely at the shield, it's very clearly a new shield mm. that they made for him, right? And I thought that was really cool. Uh, yeah, it had to have been a new shield, right? <laughs> the other, that else, that else did a number on the other one. Yep. Um, yeah, and so Loki. So, so thinking about like characters that are actually gone, right? You've got Captain America's gone, Iron Man is gone, Black, Black Widow's Widow. gone, Gamora as we knew her is gone, but there's a new Gamora who. I think stayed, or was she also dusted? No, she st- she was around. I think because she did, wasn't at the funeral. I don't think. I don't think she was with Quill at the funeral. No, but they're not buddies. They're That's not right. friends because she so they're going to have to work back to where they were. Maybe right because the the Gamora character as we know her uh, isn't there. She's the the Gamora now doesn't know uh, Peter Quill has no memory of the past five years. Right, well, she didn't experience the past five years. It was a different Gamora. Right, and so. So she's still around, but it's it's a different Gamora. And then Loki is dead in the current timeline because he died at the beginning of Infinity War. But, but there's a Loki out there that has an Infinity Stone and uh, disappeared somewhere in a timeline that I hope we get to see. Maybe that Loki TV series will be the thing that we see, right? Yeah. So we have successfully talked more about Avengers than we talked about sports <laughs> stuff today, but I think that's okay. Yeah. But... My, my big takeaway here was this is a movie that is 15 years in the making, really. Or however long these movies have been going on. Yeah, 11, 12 years. Yeah. Right? Which is just incredible. And someone mentioned that this is this generation's Star Wars. Meaning that it has raised our expectations of what film and cinema need to be. Yeah. Like, we won't be satisfied with other movies. Like, DC, I'm sure, is just putting their heads in their hands. Like, we should just give up this fight. <laughs> they should stop making movies. Because... It would, it, it would take them 10 years from now to build up to something that is even close to what uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame has done, and they just can't reach that. And so, I mean, this just changes the game yeah. the, for everybody. The last time I recall seeing like some kind of battle sequence that was as captivating as the final battle... In can, fin- can I guess? Yes. The Battle of Minas Tirith in Return of the King. Uh, yeah, I was gonna go Helm's Deep, but yes. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you take take your pick, right? Right. Both of those were, but but when the Battle of Helm's Deep felt so much more personal. Yeah. And that's why, and all the characters are there for the whole thing, yeah. so I can see why that would be more captivating. Twenty one, twenty two, <laughs> and twenty three. Good old Gimli. Uh, 
Yeah, so exciting to see what happens. What are the next Marvel projects to get announced? Uh, we know Captain Marvel is going to stick around. Obviously, Spider-Man's going to stick around. Black Panther's going to stick around. Wasn't there a Black Widow movie? No, I don't know. I thought there was going to be a Black Widow movie, and if there is... That'll be that would maybe take place in between. But why before, would you go back? You wouldn't. No. Or maybe you show her. We finally get her origin story. Or maybe when you die for the Soul Stone, you don't really die. You go somewhere else. Maybe you're reborn. Maybe they have to get all the Infinity Stones back to redo the do. This is getting crazy. Mm. But this, and you know what? I thought they handled time travel really well. A lot of movies don't handle it well because they'll go back in time and change something, right? They didn't really change the past. They so they did take the Infinity Stone from the past, but but then they returned them, right? Right. Which I mean, Captain America did that all by himself, dude. I mean, that might be the most impressive thing he did the entire movie. Yeah. Like this whole. I know we didn't get to see any of it. No. <laughs> uh, but good for him dancing with Peggy at the end there. And so I thought that was really cool. The the decision to we're not going to alter the past five years. The five past five years happened. We're just going to change the future. Because like like uh, Hulk explained this to the Sorceress Supreme, the Ancient One. She showed him that line and then the yeah. alternate timeline. He said, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. It's like we understand all that. What we're going to do is we're going to take the stones and put them all back where we got them before, restoring this timeline to exactly the way it was before. Mm-hmm. And so there won't be an alternate branch, right? Yeah. But then what did Loki do? He created an alternate branch. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen there. But then... Oh, so anyway, a lot of these comic universes, DC and Marvel, have multiple universes. Right. What they may have done is just open up a way to create another Marvel universe with Loki, oh. and who knows what else. So you could have Captain America and Iron Man and Thor. We could have yeah. everyone go back. Well, it, yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. So they did a really smart thing by having Loki disappear with that and leave it at that because it just opened themselves up to make a billion more dollars yeah. with every movie they make. And and this, I don't know if it's been announced or not, but this next iteration of Marvel movies could very well include X-Men. Because now that uh, Disney own, bought Fox, they own the rights to the X-Men movies, to the X-Men franchise. And how fantastic would it be if Loki goes and disappears somewhere, creates this alternate timeline, and in this alternate timeline, all the X-Men are there? And now he's like, great, now I have to deal with these guys? Yeah. That would be really entertaining. Yeah. All right, I think, uh, I think I'm Avengered out. Right? So, I'm not. I could go see that movie again right now. Oh, I could go it's see good, it. It's good, dude. So, I, I hope I get to see it again with my wife. Uh, you, will you babysit my kids so I can do that? I'll take that as a maybe. Uh, don't expect me to return the favor, though. Yeah. So, uh, I'm hoping in December we can have a similar discussion, and I hope we're this excited when Star Wars Episode Nine comes out. Rise of Palpatine. Oh, man. No one's ever truly gone. I don't think I've ever said it on this podcast, but you know my long-standing theory that Palpatine is the progenitor of the Skywalker line. I mean, I mean, talk about talk about letting the bell, like just like letting the bell ring at the end of a podcast. It's like leaving the Palpatine. <laughs> Palpatine is Anakin's daddy, and therefore Luke's grandpa. Bing, let that ring out. We'll we'll uh, reconvene in December. This has been the Subjectively Correct Sports Podcast with David Henderson and Anthony Montague. Tune in weekly for sports talk and other stuff.